0: Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, This is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. is called Passing the Peace. Jesus says, um, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And that's something that we use as an invitation to practice passing the peace to one another as we are sent people to pass the peace. So um, we just invite you with those that are around you um, right now just to greet one another with the peace of Christ. Peace be with you.
1: Christ be with you. Good morning, my name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here at Axiom. Um, I see other Eric's in the room, I'll acknowledge you Uh, (laughs) uh, as well. Um, It's really great to see you all here this morning. Um, It's actually a pretty exciting morning um, because, first off, I'm up here preaching, so, you know, that's exciting. Yeah, all right, all right. (laughs) But also, we're starting a new sermon series here today um, titled, Sunday School, Revisiting Classic Bible Stories. I don't know if there's anybody in here who grew up in the church but there was this wonderful thing that you would do as a child called going to Sunday school. It's what you did so you could avoid the boring services that your parents had to go to. It's what your children maybe are doing right now. They are sitting down, and you're, you would re- hear classic stories from the Bible, stories rich in imagery um, and oftentimes very compelling, right? especially stories from the Old Testament, because there were some really great stories in the Old Testament. It's like the one with Noah's Ark. Uh, there was one with a talking donkey, I think. My favorites, personally, were always the ones with the animals because I really liked animals quite a bit growing up. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, So, there were a lot of really great and compelling stories growing up as a child. There would be pictures associated with them oftentimes. You'd see, if it was Noah's Ark, you'd see, you know, the giraffes and the zebras, they'd be getting loaded onto the boat. Because in that story, I don't know if you remember, but Noah somehow bafflingly loads all the animals on the planet Earth into a boat, which is pretty crazy. Uh, But also, There are a lot of other great stories, and so we as leaders uh, here, we decided that we really wanted to kind of go back to Sunday school and revisit some of those stories and see if there isn't something more to these stories than maybe what we learned on a Sunday morning. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of the tales that I heard when I was growing up are ones that, although they might have stuck with me, I don't necessarily revisit all the time. I've gotten bogged down in other stuff that's like, you know, deep and like theological and all this other stuff, right? I've moved away from the, the beautiful images and the nice little animals and all that kind of thing, but today we're going to be diving into it a little bit and see if looking at one of my favorite Bible stories, if there's something, if maybe there's something like good for us in that story. So, I told you that I liked animals a lot. One of my favorite animals was the bear. I loved bears, they were big, hairy, they had huge teeth. I remember seeing a video of a bear running once when I was a kid and I just couldn't believe how fast that thing moved. And then they would grab the salmon out of the river. I was just like, oh, they're awesome. Bears are so cool. I loved them. Well, one Sunday, I came to Sunday school, and there were pictures of bears. She had the little bear, these bear images up on the board there. I got excited. I was like, bears. And we got into a story about bears. First off, you should know that uh, there's going to be two confusing names coming up in this passage. Don't get mixed up. It happens to me all the time. I get them mixed up frequently. One is Elijah with a J. Hear that? Juh, Elijah. And then there's another one that's Elijah with a sh. S-H. Sh. A soft sh. Elijah. Elijah. I should have brought two cards to hold up here with a J and a sh, but I didn't. I'm so sorry. But let's try to keep these straight. Elijah... Was a prophet. Now, prophet, mm, kind of like he was, a, he was like God's speaker in the world. He's, God would send him out to proclaim what God had to say to communities and people. And Elijah, Jah, was like one of the greatest ever. He even came back and visited Jesus in the New Testament. But he's considered widely to be one of the greatest prophets of all time, Elijah. Elisha was the apprentice to Elijah. Elijah taught Elisha the ways of the prophet, if you will. So Elisha is Elijah's direct student. Worked out very well that they had similar names, right? So we, The story about bears that we heard involved the apprentice, the student, Elisha. And this is where we dive in at 2 Kings chapter 2. And this was the Bible story, one of my (laughs) favorites as a kid. From there, more on that, more on there a little later. From there, Elisha Went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. Not very nice of them. He, he turned around and he looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and bawled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. Oh, man, when that story got done, all the boys in the room were like, yeah, it got mauled by bears. That's awesome. And I was like so stoked because bears are awesome. Oh, man. The Sunday school teacher got very serious. Well, this is what happens when you don't listen to God's messenger. He will send bears down and the bears will maul you. (laughs) My sermon today is about why you shouldn't make fun of Gavin. (laughs) Ah, just kidding. But she really did say that. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be one of the 42 boys that gets mauled? And in my head, I heard mauled. All I knew was like, oh, they got eaten by bears. I'm like, so God, like, makes bears eat little children, and then you're like paranoid about not making God mad. You're like, oh my gosh, he's gonna send bears down. He's gonna, like when we went camping, I would be thinking about bears coming down and eating me. It was awful. So I went from being, yeah, awesome, to them being kind of scared. And then a weird thing happened as I grew up. This story just like embedded in my mind. Like as I grew up, as I became like disenchanted with Christianity, as I deconstructed my faith and walked away from it, in the back of my mind, whenever people would talk to me about a loving God, I always had this story as ammunition. I was like, oh, your God's so loving? Well, there's a story where he sends bears down to eat a bunch of kids. What do you say about that? Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. It's a shocking story, to say the least. This prophet, this messenger of God, calls down, seemingly for a very petty reason, because they're making fun of him for being bold. <laughs> he calls down a curse of bears, 42 of them. So we laugh, but I think part of our laughter maybe in it is a little bit of like, yeah, kind of know what you mean. Like kind of uncomfortable, right? What I'm hoping to today, as we uh, we enter into talk through this passage, is maybe possibly we might be able to redeem something about this story about bears, because Paul says somewhere in a letter that he wrote that all scripture, and he's talking about the Old Testament, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness, so the man of God or the woman of God might be confidently equipped for every good thing. Jesus says that the prophets, they, everything that they wrote and said, and he's talking about the Old Testament again, is pointing to him. So, we're stuck with this story about bears. What are we to make of it? in light of what we know to be true about Jesus, the full embodiment, the perfect revelation of who God is, what God's character is. Where he says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We read from John, one of his, Jesus' main disciples, that God is love. What do we make out of this story about bears? I'm gonna be walking something of a tightrope today. I'm gonna to be balancing out over some things, and I'm really hoping that I don't fall off the edge. I hope that too, especially for you, Vicki, right now. <laughs> Will you walk with me right now, though, as we try to move through this passage and give it a little bit of context and maybe hopefully figure out a way to frame it in a useful way to understand it in a useful way, to understand what I'm hoping is at least part of its essence. There's a bunch to get through here. Certainly this is something of a terrifying story, but I promised at the beginning when we're reading the passage, it says from there Elisha goes to Bethel. Well, the first thing I want to talk a little bit about is where there is because he was coming from somewhere, and I think we will discover that might matter as to understanding this tale. Elisha, as I told you, was the apprentice to the greatest prophet of all time called Elijah, and yet Elijah is nowhere to be found in this scene. Well, why not? Verses earlier, just moments before in this chapter, we discovered what became of Elijah. Elijah and Elisha are walking along. They're moving from town to town. They first come to Bethel where is the scene of this bear attack. Some, some sons of prophets we read in Bethel come out of the town and they mock Elisha saying, oh, your, your master is about to depart. He's going to be gone someday. And Elisha responds to them, I, yeah, I know, keep silent. So we have already established that he had some conflict with people in these communities. They move along, they move along, they go to another town called Jericho where a similar thing happens. And Elisha responds with, yeah, I know. Then Elijah says in Jericho, this other town, that he has to go down to a river. Elisha follows Elijah. Down to the river, as do some of the some of the young men from the town. When they go to the river, Elijah, something kind of you know strange happens, something that doesn't happen every day. So we read something to the effect of a chariot a fire comes down from heaven, and God takes Elijah up into heaven on the chariot. So everybody's watching. Doesn't happen all the time. We learn in this passage that the spirit of Elijah, Elijah, is now with Elisha, that he has been given, had been handed the mantle of prophet in that moment. Now, the other folks around don't quite believe that Elijah is gone. They say, oh, no, 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 we're going to go find him. God must have dropped him somewhere. And they go and they search. Elisha says, don't bother, but they still go anyway. And they're searching, they're searching, they're searching. And apparently, they come back and they say, we couldn't find him. And Elisha says, yeah, I told you not to bother looking. Yeah. Elijah has truly been taken up into heaven. So that's where there is This occurs, Elijah has been taken up into heaven, Elisha does a few other things, he walks around, he cleanses some water, but then immediately following this event is where we have him coming back into Bethel. Which, you'll remember, Elijah and Elisha had passed through not long before. Elisha had had a hard exchange with some young men who were making fun of him. And making fun of the fact that his master was going to be taken away from him. Now, something interesting about Bethel, there was, at the time there were two kingdoms that what we now we call today Israel were divided into. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Something that characterized the northern kingdom was that it had established false places of worship for God they had reverted to something called idolatry, which involved basically inappropriate or incorrect worship, worshiping false gods a lot of times, what it gets associated with. Bethel was one of the focal points for this false form of worship. If we think about God as reality and truth, then Bethel, for the reader of this story originally, they would have seen Bethel as the site of falsehood, right, and deception in some sense, right? It's a place of idolatry, of false worship. So, Elisha is coming. He went up again into Bethel, and that's where the scene of our Bible story takes place. It's just outside of Bethel. He was going up the road towards Bethel when these boys come out. Now we're gonna turn to a different translation here that I think is a little bit more helpful into getting to some specific details that get missed in the NIV. We'll read through it one more time. So then he, that is Elisha, went up from there, we already know where there is, to Bethel. And as, as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 youth. Okay, so there's a lot that's interesting here to me in terms of the difference. Instead of boys, we have youth here. Some commentators have noted that the word that gets used for youth here is actually can be understood to include 12 to 40, really, So you have these young people coming out of Bethel, the seat of falsehood and idolatry, and they're coming down the road to mock him. And they're not just saying, get out of here, but the word, the expression that they're using is go up, go up. Why would that be particularly painful for Elisha to hear? Well, in some ways, they're making fun of the fact that his master Elijah had just gone up The story going around was that Elijah had been taken up into heaven, and they're clearly mocking this idea, not necessarily believing it. Now, there's two things, then, that the bald head might indicate. One thing, you know, if a person's bald, they're usually older. They're older, maybe associated with wisdom, could be. That's one thing. The other thing about a bald head, though, is it could be a sign of mourning or grief, people would shave their heads as a sign of mourning. And so they're not just mocking the story that Elijah went up into heaven, they're mocking Elisha's loss as well. In some ways, they're mocking the very possibility of Elijah, the prophet of God, they're mocking him as being a a speaker of God's truth. And necessarily, then, they're mocking Elisha. Maybe even suggesting that he is false or untrue. Some other notes that I think are interesting here in relationship to this translation is we get female bears here. Female bears, as as where before it was just bears why female bears why would that possibly matter i don't know if anybody here is very familiar with bears but typically female bears are fiercely protective of their cubs why are they so protective of the cub well you know for in fact they're particularly protective against other bears it is the case especially among like grizzly bears for instance that the male bears will go and actually try to kill any cub it comes across, even their own cubs, because those cubs represent competition to the male bear. And so female bears are famously protective of their offspring. Another thing that I get really kind of interested in is numbers. For instance, why 42? Well, 42, is a, is a number that, often t- that appears multiple times throughout Scripture, but uh, some, note, some commentators have noted that it's often associated with transition or fulfillment, something, some kind of transition happening. Oh yes, Elijah to Elisha, and maybe some kind of fulfillment happening as well. The fact that there are two bears is also curious. Why not three? There were 42 kids, right? 42 youths, why not 10 bears? Why two bears? Well, two, representatively, as a number, it sometimes indicates union. It sometimes represents division. But it can also represent verification of facts by witness. Because if there's just one person, well, it's just one person's word. But if you have a witness, then there's verification there. I find that interesting from the standpoint of what they're actually technically doing. Could it be that these two bears are bearing witness or verifying some kind of fact? Another word that's interesting is mauled. Now mauled is not killed, importantly. It's not eaten. See, as a kid, I read mauled as they were eaten by bears. But mauled is a word that suggests torn up, scratched, handled roughly by the creature. Not necessarily killed. If we think about God creator of the universe as reality, as truth, capital T. How do we make sense of people who run up against that reality? What happens if that occurs? Somebody once I once read somewhere that reality is the brick wall that you run into when you try to pass through it. I oftentimes think of wily Coyote stepping off over the edge of a cliff, floating there, only to read about the theory of gravity and discover he should actually fall, and then he goes down. There is truth in the world. In the context of the story, if we were to think about it as a parable of sorts, we would see Elisha, as a representative of God's reality, his truth. And in fact, the very ascension of his master, his teacher, Elijah, into heaven, is an affirmation of God's power and working in the world. And what do we have then in this story? We have young indignant youths emerging out of a town connected with idolatry and falseness false truth, coming out and mocking the very principle of Elisha's Elisha's prophetic call, dismissing it as a point of fact, dismissing the reality of God's working in the world. And these two protective mothers, these two protective mother bears that I might suggest are protecting Elisha has their cub exit the forest and batter, handle roughly, scratch and tear those who mock or mocked reality. One definition of a curse in the Bible that I've that I've read is when god hands people over to the consequences of their actions could it be that when people mistreat wisdom or dishonor reality they get handled, they get handed over to overly protective bears of consequence not trying to be, you know, if we weren't trying to be literal with the story, that they're actually bears coming down and eating people. What might be, why might the mothers be protecting in Elisha? Why might they be coming down and protecting him? Protecting reality from pride, from ignorance? Actions have consequences Here. We see the youths, the possible sons of false prophets, of false realities, ridiculing and mocking that which they don't understand. They won't see the real possibility that that wisdom exists and it is beyond their understanding, that it might in fact be embodied in the person and story of Elisha. That prophets can be taken up to God and can be sent by God as well. And the ferocity here in this story is the reality. The ferocity of the reality of bears in this story bears witness against them. <laughs> they get all beat up and tore up from the floor up. And haven't you been there? I know I've been there. I think I know better a lot of times. People might try to come my way, offer me guidance or input, try to steer me to a different path, and more than ignore it, sometimes I mock it. I've done it all my life. I've run into a lot of brick walls. Hit my nose on it pretty hard. And amidst all my laughing, amidst my ridicule, my, the aggression, I've missed the approaching bears, the witnesses sent to protect the truth against the momentary evil that I might be manifesting, the momentary falsehoods that I might be bringing into the world. Whether or not I mean it, I'm bringing it in against all of you because we are a part of that reality. I run into the brick wall, I encounter the bears, not because God doesn't love, but because God hands people over to the consequences sometimes of their actions. It's not because God doesn't love. God teaches, he corrects. He also protects the innocent and upholds truth and wisdom because it's reality because it's all for good. What this story, sh- story doesn't show, but is there nonetheless, I think, is kind of a prodigal reality. What do I mean by that? A story that came to my mind as I was rereading this text and working through it and trying to understand, understand the difficult position that I had put myself in by choosing this text, story that came to my mind was a story of the prodigal son. It was a story that Jesus told. It begins with a son, an arrogant son who comes to his father demanding now his inheritance. He wants his inheritance now because he wants to be able to use it the way he wants to use it. The father loves his son and says so. All right, sure, I will do that. You've asked me, and I will give it to you. So he takes his, the son's inheritance and gives it to him. Son, thumbs his nose at his dad, takes off to go do his own thing. He lives a life of luxury, of extravagance, partying, living that rock star kind of life. Till finally he comes to a point where he's used up everything, he spent all of his money and all the goodwill that he might have had in the community. And he finds himself finally so destitute that he's eating the slop of pigs. He's in there the trenches eating pig slop with the pigs. And as he's eating, trying to survive, he says to himself, you know, even my father's servants eat better than this. Maybe if I go back home, and beg my father he'll let me be a servant maybe just maybe the son has hit his brick wall he's been beaten and torn up by his bears but God is something more as Jesus tells the son goes back home to the father to beg to be, to beg to just be a servant in his household, and the father sees the son coming, and the father runs out, and in a big bear hug, he grabs his son, wraps him up, and holds him, and he loves him. He throws a party in his honor and celebrates the return of his wayward son, And Jesus says, this is what God is like. This is the image of God. As we read these Bible stories, we got to make sure that we read them in relationship to the whole width and breadth of what we know about God. That God isn't just the mauling bears sending down to beat you up. God is the Father who permits that He also will embrace if you return. That as much as we might read passages that seem harsh and bizarre The embedded, deeper still, is Jesus in the fullness of who God is. Yes, there are consequences for the things that we do in this world. There is reality, there is truth, there is wisdom, there is goodness. And we don't always do good. But even as we meet the consequences, we can sit here in assurance knowing that on the other side of those consequences, the consequences in the world, there is a loving God, a loving Father waiting to embrace you if you choose to return home. Won't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came to provide the final word on everything that we thought that we knew. That even as we read through Scripture and we wrestle with the admittedly strange, bizarre, and difficult Lord, that underneath it all there is a welcoming embrace for every wayward child. Every every cruel youth everyone who has lost the way everyone who has encountered a bear or two that even as we come beaten up broken mauled by our experience the choices that we make the pain that we've caused others that we are not beyond your love We thank you for it. In your holy name, Lord, we pray this. Amen.